This episode of Astronomy Cast is brought to you by Swinburne Astronomy Online, the world's longest-running online astronomy degree program. Visit astronomy.swin.edu.au for more information. Astronomy Cast, episode 362, Carolyn Porco. Welcome to Astronomy Cast, our weekly facts-based journey through the cosmos, where we help you understand not only what we know, but how we know what we know. My name is Fraser Kane. I'm the publisher of Universe Today, and with me is Dr. Pamela Gay, a professor at Southern Illinois University, Edwardsville, and the director of CosmoQuest. Hey, Pamela, how are you doing? I'm doing well. How are you doing, Fraser? Doing great. And uh, so, do we have anything that we want to promote or uh, let people know about this time around? It's the International Year of Light, and I'm far too enthusiastic and over-caffeinated. So starting January 1, 2015, there is a global celebration of the International Year of Light. There is an astronomy cornerstone called Cosmic Awareness, and we're working to get everyone to understand that light pollution bad, light from stars good. Let's, let's celebrate light from stars, reflected light from stars off of planets, and all of the information that we get back in the form of radio light from spacecraft and say down with light pollution. Down with light pollution. And then the other thing is if by the time you receive this, uh, Comet Lovejoy maybe is going to be a, a comet that you can see with the unaided eye in dark skies. I think it was going to get to magnitude four. It's trying. Yeah. So this is it. This this is the comet that the universe has uh, owes us. And I'm I'm a little <laughs> underwhelmed. <laughs> I, was, I want another I want another uh, hail bop. I want a Hayakitaki. I want an I want the Ison that we were promised. So this is a good start. OK, so let's get rolling. This episode of Astronomy Cast is brought to you by Eighth Light Inc. Eighth Light is an agile software development company. They craft beautiful applications that are durable and reliable. Eighth Light provides disciplined software leadership on demand and shares its expertise to make your project better. For more information, visit them online at www.eighthlight.com. Just remember, that's www.thlight.com. Drop them a note. Eighth Light. Software is their craft. So it's hard to think of a more influential modern planetary scientist than Carolyn Porco, the leader of the imaging team for NASA's Cassini mission exploring Saturn. But before Cassini, Porco was involved in the Voyager missions, and she'll be leading up the imaging team for New Horizons. And before we get going on the show, I just want to apologize in advance to Carolyn Porco for all, for the mistakes that we're going to make, uh, because you know we done our research we've done the best we can but i'm sure we're going to make a few errors and uh this just whole thing just comes from such a sort of deep uh level of, of respect and admiration for the work that uh, dr porco does uh literally you know the work on voyager the work on cassini the work we're going to be seeing on new horizons so i apologize in advance Dr. Porco, because she will tell us. She will. <laughs> and, and this is the one scientist in this series that I've never heard speak. I, I'm not quite sure how this has happened. She's a frequent public speaker, but it's it's just managed that I'm either just never at the right conferences or something. Yeah. Um, so so I don't personally know her. Uh, other than occasionally sharing tweets and being on the same lists. And that doesn't mean I know her. 
Uh, it just means our names have been listed in proximity on the internet. Yeah, and and I actually shared an anecdote uh, sort of at the end of the last show in the, I guess, in the questions and answer period, which, by the way, at the end of every episode when we do a live show, we do we handle all the Q&A at the end of the show. And so if you want to get your questions answered, just come and watch the live show that we do. Uh, you can get information on that from uh, the, our page on Google+. And uh, anyway, and we answered sort of questions, and, and I was talking about Carolyn Porco, and sort of my first interaction was with Dr. Porco, which she literally taught me how to properly attribute images that come from various space agencies. So whenever I would post an image of, of Cassini's images of Saturn, I would go, you know, image credit NASA JPL. And then Dr. Porco reached out to me and said, uh, you got to include Space Science Institute because we're the people who are actually taking the pictures and processing them and, and, and doing a lot of the work. And so at that point, I, I understood the chain of all of the, you know, that there's NASA and then there's the JPL works for NASA. And then there's Space Science Institute and there's, you know, the Cassini imaging team. And each, each of these people have a hand and bring you this this final image that we get a chance to see and so since then i've gotten way better so uh you know that was my uh, that's my interactions with carolyn porco so who so who is she uh she is a scientist um but seriously to, to uh, give a better background she is an imaging scientist who's been working on studying objects in the outer solar system literally since i was playing with barbie dolls it's it's one of those times where Every once in a while, you get told, I've been doing this since you were. And, and there's always like playing with tricycles, playing with blocks, playing with Barbie dolls. And she uh, finished her bachelor's degree in science in 1974 uh, when I was still in diapers. She finished her PhD in 1983 working on the Voyager spacecraft at California Institute of Technology. Uh, where she was working on the rings of Saturn when I was a child with Barbie dolls. And um, she has continued throughout the entirety of my lifetime to contribute to a lot of the different spacecraft that have inspired me throughout my life. Um, when I was a kid, as I've talked about in the show before, it was the Voyager missions data that really inspired me, that uh, my parents more than once uh, let me stay up late to watch the data coming back. And she was one of the scientists that helped understand the rings of Neptune, the rings of Uranus, how they're shepherded by moons. She worked on the Saturn data for her dissertation. And all of this early amazing work, all of this done in the years right after finishing her PhD, put her in a position that when the Cassini mission began its planning stages heading up towards launch, she was selected in 1990 to head the imaging team for the Cassini Huygens. This meant that she'd be the person in charge of the group of humans dealing with the pretty images that everyone sees in the news. There's lots of different instruments on Cassini that do lots and lots of different science, but it's those images that everyone uses as their uh, background on their computer as the beautiful color images on the covers of magazines. She's the person that makes those happen. And I don't think people really uh, realize how these missions work and how that, you know, that you have a mission like like Cassini and it's really just a platform for a whole bunch of science experiments and each science experiment on that mission 
is run by a different team, sometimes at different universities. And so there, you know, there's people who work at NASA JPL who are actually helping to make sure the whole spacecraft is operating, that it's receiving its data, the communications to and from, the telemetry of the of the spacecraft. But the individual instruments themselves are run by different people and they often will have their own Twitter accounts and their own Facebook pages and they'll and they'll handle their own press releases. And and so as you say, you know, the 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 main camera imagery on Cassini is is just another instrument that's used for various scientific studies. And I I think this gets summed up really nicely in terms of just how complicated the politics in this mission are on uh, saturn.jpl.nasa.gov, which is one of the cooler NASA URLs. Um, it, It says the Cassini partnership represents an undertaking whose scope and cost would likely not have been borne by a single nation, but is made possible through shared investment and participation. Through the mission, about 260 scientists from 17 countries will gain a better understanding of Saturn, its stunning rings, its magnetosphere, Titan, and other icy moons. And so you have European leads, you have American leads, you have contractors, you have instrument scientists, you have participating scientists. And all of this is led under project scientist Linda Spelker right now with deputy project scientist Scott Eddington and project science system engineer Nora Alangi. And what I love about this mission is right now, two of the three top people in the mission are women. And you see strong female participation throughout the mission. And as you look through all the different instruments, there's a plasma spectrometer. That's a whole bunch of lines. No one ever wants to see those. There's a cosmic dust analyzer. This allows us to understand the compositions of the bits of debris that can be captured from the rings and as they pass near the atmosphere. This is amazing science. But again, the scientists doing this aren't producing pretty pictures that appear in the news. There's an infrared spectrometer. Again, amazing science. This is what allows us to start seeing the molecular chemistry of the mission. Again, data no one ever wants to look at the pictures um, in the public. There's an ion neutral mass, and I could keep going. But then when you hit the imaging science subsystem, this is one of the smaller teams, the magneto uh, magnetometer, rather, team is even smaller but the imaging science subsystem is one of the smallest teams and it's the team that everyone sees everything they're doing yeah uh and and, you know think about some of those like do you remember when the day the earth smiled do you remember that thing that happened a couple of was like a year ago a couple of years ago and they were going to recreate that pale blue dot image that that uh, Carl Sagan helped organize with the Voyager spacecraft and where everybody and so everybody uh, smiled in the general direction of Saturn. And then they they posted an image of the of the sort of the new picture that was taken by by Cassini of Earth from from orbiting Saturn. And these are the kinds of things that she has helped organize to sort of help get that word out and really help feed that enthusiasm for for space. So, so that was back on July 19th, 2013. Yeah. And what was amazing about that is for her, it was a chance to redo something that she was part of before because she was part of the team that planned the Voyager imaging that didn't just do Carl Sagan's pale blue dot, but actually did a portrait of our entire solar system. 
as Voyager looked back on the solar system. So, so let's go back into her career and sort of start uh, with, I guess, her work on Voyager and sort of how, sort of what she was involved there. So with her dissertation work at Caltech, she was f- focused on looking at the rings of Saturn. It was with Voyager that for the first time we had sufficient detailed imaging to start to see that there were moons inside the rings, the spokes in the rings, and all the other structures that appeared. She was working with dynamicist Peter Goldreich, and it was during this work that she started to try and put forward models uh, looking at what are the causes for these spokes. From there, she went on to be part of the Voyager imaging team, uh, working at the University of Arizona following her, her successful completion of her dissertation. She was a tenure-track professor, getting tenure in 1991. And through her work with the Voyager team, she kept looking at rings. She was the lead of the rings working group for Voyager. And um, the rings on the outer two most planets, Uranus and Neptune, are just weird. Mm-hmm. And she was one of the ones that really worked to try and understand why they were weird and the role that moonlets and small moons have in shepherding the, in some cases, incomplete rings and in creating the divisions that we see in these rings. And so that is an amazing combination of using computers when computers were just starting to be able to do complex modeling to understand complex dynamics of what she was seeing in the imaging data. And, uh, and so a lot of, of the stuff that she helped discover at Saturn uh, and, uh, and I guess some of the outer, the outer planets, but really at Saturn, what was amazing was then she got selected as the leader of the imaging team on Cassini-Huygens and was then be able to, to verify with much better instruments a lot of the, the stuff that, that was very tantalizing, but they weren't able to really see very close up. And one of the coolest things that they've been able to um, follow up on is she'd predicted that oscillations inside of Saturn, acoustic oscillations, this is where um, sound waves traveling through Saturn actually affect its dynamics. Yeah that these acoustic waves moving through Saturn actually have an effect on the rings around Saturn. And that's a really precise thing to think about and realize where we know that stars oscillate, we we suspected that planets could oscillate, but to carry that through and say, okay, a sound wave actually creates a density distribution change inside of the star that should affect gravity huh i wonder if we can see this in the rings there there's certain ideas that people come up with that make perfect sense once you articulate them but the where in your brain do you find that creative spark to come up with that idea is is not something everyone has the ability to do and this is one of those predictions that really shows that creative spark that is so much a part of being an excellent scientist. 
it must have been so frustrating to come on to Cassini to know the capabilities of the spacecraft. And then when Cassini got its mission plan, I guess, changed to take the long, a longer route uh, to reach Saturn using various gravitational assists. I mean, it, 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 I'm trying to remember when it launched, but, but it probably didn't get to, when did it get to, to Saturn in sort of 2004? It, Launched in 1997. Yeah. And it did a Jupiter flyby in 2000, arrived in 2004 at yeah. Saturn. Yeah. And and so here she is 14 years after being selected to lead the imaging team. Yeah. And she's finally at Saturn. Finally and, at Saturn. And the thing is, though, this is the, me- the, the mission that has just kept going and kept producing awesome results all across all of the different missions during the most recent senior review. uh, The team that did the senior review said that Saturn is one of the most well-managed spacecraft going. And so where they were originally planned for four years, they've now done 10. They're looking at a further extension. And, And we did an entire episode on this that you can go back and listen to. But Of the 514 gigabytes that they've taken, and that's not a lot of data. When you look at missions Mm -hmm. like Solar Dynamic Orbiter, they do that every single day. With their 514 gigabytes of data, they have published well over 3,000 papers. And they've discovered seven moons. Yeah, let's talk about some of those discoveries, right? Seven moons. Yeah. New rings. New rings, they've confirmed the spokes in the rings, they've started to make sense of them, they've looked at the storm patterns, they've discovered, and this was part of the imaging team that, that uh, Dr. Porco is part of, uh, they discovered that there are vast hydrocarbon seas on Titan, uh, they've found snow is perhaps not quite the right word for frozen methane and ethane, but they've found frozen formerly liquid stuff falling out of the sky onto the surface of Titan and then in some cases uh, melting or sublimating Um, weather on other worlds. That's just a great thing to be able to start to study, start to see in detail. They were the first people who saw the uh, cryovolcanism on, uh, on Enceladus. Yes. And... I'm I'm kind of like so many different things happen that it it's hard to to know what to hit on highlighting because this is a mission that has spent 10 years doing amazing science. And part of the reason that we know about so many different things that it makes me tongue-tied and speechless is because through her work Carolyn Porco hasn't just been a solid scientist she's also been out there as a speaker Uh, a lot of people uh, have the mistaken notion that she's the principal investigator for the entire cassini mission because she is one of the most public people on the mission uh, rather than just being in charge of of the most visible part of this this, the mission she dedicates a lot of time to going out and communicating what she does uh, being a consultant on cnn doing profiles for a variety of different science shows. She's appeared on things like Stargazing Live and the BBC. And through all of this communication, she's helping to continue the legacy 
of Carl Sagan, who was actually one of her mentors, someone that she worked with early in her career. And in fact, she was a consultant on Contact, which, of course, Carl Sagan wrote the book that it's based on. And it's said that Carl Sagan told Jodie Foster that in trying to figure out how to portray this character, a character modeled after Jill Tarter, who's very much alive, um, he said, look at how Carolyn Porco conducts herself and use her as a model for how to act. And that's just kind of odd and awesome. That's pretty interesting. Um, I didn't know that that he he'd offered up that as the model for for the for the movie. That's really cool. Um, so, I mean, in addition, of course, and then I guess the latest thing, in addition to the work on Cassini Huygens, is now it's time to spin up for an entirely new, uh, a new mission, a whole new project, which is uh, New Horizons, which, of course, you know, we've been reporting on New Horizons for 10 years. Uh, <laughs> I actually had a chance, if you look back on my feed on YouTube, about three weeks ago or so, I was uh, I hosted a hangout with uh, Alan Stern and and the postdocs. I guess that's their new band, um, and all the people who are going to be, you know, some of the science team that are working on the New Horizons mission. Of course, they're going to be providing these first close-up pictures of Pluto um, next year. And by about May or so, the images from New Horizons are going to be better than the images from Hubble. And this is the point where we then stop having to use those same old boring images of Pluto and the artist the illustrations. Yeah, the boring Hubble images of Pluto and and the artist illustrations that we've been using for a decade, for decades, you know, since I've been, you know, like literally for 15 years since I've been doing reporting on this stuff, I've been using the same five images of Pluto for every single story that we do. So we're finally going to get new images of Pluto. And and Dr. Porco is going to be the one who's going to be helping usher these into our eyeballs. And and it it is a large team and she is part of, of, of that team. And uh, it's it's going to be amazing to see how all of the different science comes out of this because she's an expert on rings and moons and how all of these different bodies interact. And as we've studied Pluto more and more with the Hubble Space Telescope, we've realized this is a really odd object. It It's one of the larger of the Kuiper Belt objects. It has a moon that orbits such that you really it's more of a binary system where the center of mass of Chiron or Chiron depending on how you pronounce it and Pluto is outside of both bodies there are a variety of additional moons and it's thought that there could be an icy ring and talk about having the right person to do the job this is someone who's worked systematically on how moons affect the dynamics of systems, on the containment of rings, ringlets uh, at Uranus and Neptune. And now she has one more object to sort out crazy, awesome, icy dynamics. Right. Uh, it's going to be a, a it'll be sort of a different kind of mission, though, because the the thing with Cassini is that it's been orbiting Saturn for as we said, 10 years now, and it's got years still to go, we hope. But with New Horizons, it's going to be this flyby. So so all of this work is going to, is going to be in this tiny little crunch. And the kinds of, of operations, spacecraft operations they're going to have to do is, is going to be this really 
tight coordination. I mean, part of the thing is that as they get closer, they're going to be getting better and better resolution images of the environment, and they're going to know if there are other objects they're going to try and make observations of. And then they've got this like 13 hour delay or whatever it is, four hour delay? Anyway, multiple hour delay. I'm thinking it's 13 hours to reach new horizons and give it, you know, new directions on, on where to face the camera and what features to, to point at. And if it has to make any kind of, uh, trajectory changes if there's debris or moons or or stuff that they weren't expecting as they get there. So so it's a completely different kind of challenge, right? Like you know, just imagine that they're going to be when it's starting to happen and that flyby is happening and New Horizons is going so fast, they're going to have to be making these snap decisions to get as much science as they can as it as it quickly zips past Pluto. So it's a totally it's, different game. I mean, it's going to be something. Voyager all over again. If you think back to the beginnings of her career, it was all about the flybys. And now we have a flyby with much higher tech, um, or at least as high as it goes with NASA, given when it was built. And, and so you have this new spacecraft that is new technology, but the same sort of, data run that she saw with her dissertation work at Saturn and her follow-up work at Uranus and Neptune. So sometimes you return back to your origins. But this time we have her on Twitter. And one of the things that, that I know from my personal experience is everyone assumes that I'm significantly younger than I am because I dye my hair and use social media. And I, I love the implication that social media instantly knocks 10 to 15 years off my age. And it, it apparently does the same thing to Carolyn Porco because I made a lot of assumptions about her age based on her appearance and her use of social media, media and was utterly wrong as I learned in preparing for this show. So here you have someone that is awesome at social media, did not grow up with a cell phone in her hands, but has figured out how to communicate the excitement of day-to-day -day discovery, the pain of the politics that comes with, well, sometimes you're more politician than scientist when you lead a collaboration. And she's going to be bringing us all of these new discoveries, one paper and one tweet at a time. So I'm going to, I'm going to read a quote here, uh, which was, uh, which was an award that she and, uh, actually, uh, Babak, uh, Tefreshi won back in 2009, the Leonard Nielsen award. And, uh, the citation reads, uh, Carolyn Porco combines the finest techniques of planetary exploration and scientific research with aesthetic finesse and educational talent while her images, which depict the heavenly bodies of the Saturn system with unique precision serve as tools for the world's leading experts. They also reveal the beauty of the universe in a manner that is an inspiration to one and all. And, and I think that's great. Uh, it, it, you know, what's funny is she had like literally just a couple of days ago, she wrote uh, a new post on the Cyclops. This is the, the Cassini Imaging Team's website about this aspect of the rings, which she found quite fascinating. There, there are these cliffs on on yeah. the edge of the b ring which are like two and a half kilometers high so so normally the whole ring is flat at some points you know 10 meters thick but there's a point on the b ring where there are these strange cliffs caused by some of the moons i think where they're like two and a half kilometers high of this like jumbled cloud and they actually cast these shadows on the rings and so uh she had sort of mentioned how fascinating this was and someone sent in some art 
to show what it might look like if it was a spacecraft gliding across the top of the ring. So, so you can just see this kind of imagination is, is captivated by the kinds of, of things that she's looking at, and she's able to express this fascination at the same time doing the science and going, this stuff is beautiful and this stuff is important scientifically. And, and that is, you couldn't ask for anything more, in a, I think, in a scientist to have those two things. It's what Carl Sagan had. I think it's what you have. And I, I think, and I think, you know, folks like, like Phil Plate and, you know, a lot of the scientists who are just, who are doing the research, but also really helping express that enthusiasm and it's infectious. And uh, so kudos to, to and, Dr. Carolyn Parkle. And if you want to see her in action, she's done a pair of TED Talks. And uh, I see from folks on Twitter, uh, David McKee's pointing out that she was on the June 29th episode of Star Talk Radio. And uh, so you can catch her doing her thing, communicating science in a way that will get you to fall in love with the understanding that she brings us about the universe. Yes. Go and to the go to the Cyclops website and sign up for her email newsletter, which is where you'll get like missives from her once every month or so. And then you can follow her on Twitter, right? Carol, is it Carolyn Porco, I think, on Twitter? But you can search it up. You can find it and uh, and talk to her directly. Or at least listen from her. <laughs> Sounds great. Awesome. Well, thank you very much, Pamela, and uh, and we'll talk to you next week. We we I think we've wrapped up this series on uh, on modern women in astronomy. So I think we're going to go back to uh, to Fraser's crazy ideas <laughs> about uh, space and astronomy from here on out. Yeah, so we have no clue what our next big idea is going to be. So feel free to pipe up and make suggestions. And I have Fraser's awesomely long list of things to Ah, choose from as well. All right. Thank you very much, family. And we'll talk to you next week. Sounds good, Fraser. Talk to you later. Thanks for listening to Astronomy Cast, a nonprofit resource provided by Astrosphere New Media Association, Fraser Kane and Dr. Pamela Gay. You can find show notes and transcripts for every episode at astronomycast.com. You can email us at info at astronomycast.com. Tweet us at astronomycast. Like us on Facebook or circle us on Google+. We record our show live on Google+, every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern, or 2000 Greenwich Mean Time. If you miss the live event, you can always catch up over at cosmoquest.org. If you enjoy Astronomy Cast, why not give us a donation? It helps us pay for bandwidth, transcripts, and show notes. Just click the donate link on the website. All donations are tax deductible for U.S. residents. You can support the show for free, too. Write a review or recommend us to your friends. Every little bit helps. Click support the show on our website to see some suggestions. To subscribe to the show, point your podcatching software at astronomycast.com slash podcast.xml or subscribe directly from iTunes. Our music is provided by Travis Searle and the show is edited by Preston Gibson.